Hey, welcome to the Yellow Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Marhofer Duggar. You guys, I am so stoked to bring you literally one of my favorite people on this planet. And we have been working on putting together an episode for you for quite some time. I want to introduce you to Kat Etherington, my personal trauma coach. Our relationship began in 2017, and the way it happened and how God brought us together was nothing short of a miracle. And so Kat is the director of recovery at the Naked Truth Project in the UK, and she helps others get free of the impact of porn in their life. She is doing beautiful and phenomenal work all across the globe. And I am so thrilled today that she spends time dialoguing with us, dives into her personal story of addiction, her harrowing journey of all that she came out of and walked through, and why she fiercely protects her fierce self-compassion for herself and how liberating that has been in her life to wrap her arm around herself continuously and walk her journey out. Truly believe this could be the best part of your day. I hope you gain some joy, clarity, hope, and truth along the way. So we have so much to share with you. Let's dive in. I have the pleasure of speaking with my personal trauma coach who walked through my story with me beginning in 2017, I have Kat Etherington on with me. Now, Kat, are you still in the UK? I am. I'm in the northeast of England um, right now. Okay. And you recently, you relocated, right? You and your family? Yeah, we moved, but just not very far, just a, about 20 miles or so up the road. So um, yeah, we're, we're fairly fairly close to the Scottish border up here. Oh, okay. Will you share with our listeners about what you're doing now? Because when I met you, you were my personal trauma coach. And so things have evolved in your world since then professionally. So what are you doing now? Yeah, that's right, Juliet. So right now, um, after sort of setting up my own private practice and working with clients um, in that way, I actually joined with a nonprofit organization here in the UK, um, which is known as the Naked Truth Project. And our mission is to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of pornography. And so we do a whole bunch of stuff, but the work that I'm involved in is primarily through um, our recovery uh, resources, and um, I've kind of grown a few different programs over there and a team to work with um, people who are seeking healing from problematic sexual behaviors and betrayal. Absolutely incredible. And I, I understand you really have a, a heart and a passion to introduce what you do there in the UK with your organization, the trauma aspect of it and how we recognize that inside churches as well. Correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, as a Christian organization, although we have this mission to openize and free lives um, ourselves, one of the things that we also are really passionate 
passionate about is equipping the local church to do the same. So we would love to see um, churches responding in a more trauma-informed way to the discovery or disclosure of a problematic sexual behavior and the resulting betrayal trauma. And I know you're in the UK, but you take this message. I've seen your travels on social media. You you take this message wherever, wherever you're invited and wherever God calls, right? Because I've seen right. you travel to the U.S. on numerous occasions. And so, I mean, can, can churches reach out to you and connect with you globally? Absolutely, yeah. And, and we've been actually very intentional in extending our reach um, to all of the, the English-speaking parts of the world, both in our recovery work, but also in our advocacy work, because our clients who are accessing support for um, you know, recovery from whatever their trauma is, whether that's been a betrayal or whether they have maybe a childhood trauma resulting in an addiction, um, you know, they, those clients are coming from all over the world um, and they're all having uh, experiences with their church some that are positive and some that are less positive and so um, yeah we're, we've really kind of intentionally pushed into that space um, we recently launched what we're calling our church membership program which is really uh, an opportunity for churches to partner with us and for us to partner with them offering training and support and consultation and courses and content to support them in that. What a fascinating resource to have for a community to have access that allows the leadership and those at the helm to feel so supported on a topic that can feel like it's, it's a little untouchable. You know, it seems that we have been out of touch in, in the, um, if you want to say inside the, the church, and Christianity that, you know, sometimes I find that leaders and, and pastors and teachers, you know, it's not that they don't want to help. It's just that it's, it's such of a sensitive nature that it right. can be difficult to, to know where to begin or to find a starting point. Right. And, you know, I, for a while, Juliet, I was angry about the stories I was hearing from people. You know, of course, it's the most natural thing in the world to reach out to your faith community, your spiritual leadership um, when you're hurting and when things yeah. are not going well in your life. And, and over the years, I just heard so many stories of the church not doing a good job with that and adding more trauma, more shame, um, more hurt and pain. And for a while, I was really angry about that. And then I realized, my husband's a church leader um, and I began to realize everybody has something right every member yeah. of the congregation has a, a project or a, a, an issue that they're passionate about um, they have a problem that they're looking for support with and I suppose what I became what I came to understand is that you just can't know everything about everything and yes. the churches that I saw not doing a great job they weren't deliberately hurting people they were um un unintentionally and, and and in an uninformed way doing damage they didn't really understand and so we we really wanted to help with that we can victimize the uh the victim all over again through uh wanting to help and desiring to help even even when our hearts are in the right places and our intentions are good we can truly bring more more damage and without even realizing it and so being able to have the naked truth project as a resource and 
and what you and your team have created is phenomenal. That's, that is so exciting. You and I, let's talk a little bit about, about how we started. And then I would be so honored for you to dive into your story of resilience with our listeners. So when you and I connected in 2017, I was at the very beginning stages of so much really that I didn't even know that was about to unravel in my story. And something that I share in my book is that there were indications to you. I discovered that you could see what I couldn't. You you knew that there was more, uh, there was so much more that was entering the, the track, you know, that there was a freight train um, that was coming and that it, it wasn't just going to potentially come once, but that it was going to keep coming at me. Mm-hmm. And there was so much more to my story that would, that would unravel. Our beginning of how we met I remember laying on my bed and it was in a, it was, it was in a moment for me that I just, I was numb. I remember laying there looking at the grooves of my ceiling and I was in my bedroom laying on my bed and I heard that still small voice, a whisper, God inviting me to go look at covenant eyes, which is a guardian filter, amazing guardian filter, shout out to covenant eyes. And I just thought at that point in my story, I was like, God, like what, why, like, what's the point of this? You know? So I got up and, and went and, and looked and there was a, at the very top of their website was this podcast interview with a beautiful woman named Kat. (laughs) And I'm trying to think back now what the title was. And it was an interview that a um, an organization called the Samson Society had done with you. And do you remember what the title of that, of the podcast uh, interview was? I don't, I don't know. I've done an, a fair number of podcasts since then, but I think it was something like Betrayal Trauma Recovery in yes. the UK or something like that. Yeah, something. And it was just like, I knew, I, I remember clicking on that link and you were the very first person which you didn't even know at the time, because I'm watching you and or listening to you, excuse me, on this interview. And you it's it's like you were sitting in the pain with me. And everything that you said resonated with me. And you even said things on that interview that I didn't even I didn't even know yet. I hadn't even discovered yet in my story. Um, but there was just this feeling and I remember before you were even done with the interview, I was, I was Googling you. <laughs> I was like, who is this person? I need this human uh, stat. Like I need her in my life. <laughs> and so that, that's how our love story began. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I remember in, in probably the first few sessions that you and I had together that you opened up and began sharing your story of how you exchanged incredible pain for power in your life and, and the journey, this harrowing journey that you were on. Mm -hmm. Um, would you share with, with me today, 
about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, just before we started recording, I was saying to you that um, that podcast was the first ever podcast I gave um, around betrayal and recovery um, related mm. to that. And so um, I have not listened to that podcast for a really long time. And, and I kind of intentionally would not want to listen to it because I'm sure that there are things that I would say differently now that I've got a lot more experience and maybe things that I would conceptually differently but I did know that when I was looking for help and support because of the betrayal that was unfolding in my life um, mm. I, I didn't have a voice that you know you described um, you know I think we've had so, many of us have had experiences where someone's telling a story and it feels like they're talking directly to us I couldn't yeah. find that when I was navigating my own experience of betrayal and so I knew that part mm. of what my I was being invited into and called into was to to articulate uh, what that experience had been like for me in a way that would allow somebody like you laying on the bed looking at the ceiling wondering what was wrong to mm -hmm. to feel that soothed of kind of like oh yeah okay first of all I'm not crazy and secondly there is help um, yeah. and I can recover from that so um, I love that you that you reference that um, and I suppose you know just to give that background my background is in addiction recovery and then betrayal and trauma um, and so like on the surface it sounds like a really sad story um, over a really long period of time but um, you know when I reflect on my journey uh, you know and I think it's a cliche isn't it when you hear people say I wouldn't change it because it's kind of led to where I am but I, I really feel that 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 for me is true um, so mm. I uh, I guess the early part of my story starts in my teenage years where um, uh, through a, a series of unfortunate events so to speak I ended up um, with a group of friends who were drug users um, and I uh, became addicted to heroin um, very young and so between the ages of 16 and 26 I had um, a fairly intense and chronic addiction to heroin um, during that time I had two children who were both born into that addictive lifestyle and were subsequently removed from my care because of the chaotic way in which I was living um, and I got into recovery when I was 26 and then got into a relationship where my children came home life really felt like it settled down and then betrayal entered my world as I discovered mm. that the person I was in a relationship with was um, I guess my conceptualization of it is chronic sex addiction this this man was um, looking at pornography he was um, in a in a compulsive addictive uh, you know uh, overwhelming way he was chatting with people online there were other offline behaviors there was um, a whole lot of um, stuff that I would never have even conceptualized could have been a thing never mind a thing that was active and present in my relationship and so um, I experienced what I now understand to be a, a serious trauma reaction to mm. discovering that just to to highlight something in your own life is that you coming from so 10 years basically right if in I'm addiction. if I'm looking at so yeah so 10 years in addiction and then another layer for you in your own life of being in a relationship where this this betrayal is is transpiring and the this with the chronic sex addiction with your partner did you in some way was there ever this this just subtle lie that 
you're an addict. So of course you would end up with someone who's an addict in some way that, that you were deserving of this, that you weren't any, any more than, than this, than what you found yourself in the middle of. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, and, you know, I now have the vantage point of nearly 15 years in recovery from addiction. Um, you know, a good close to a decade of recovering from the betrayal trauma, Um, and, you know, seven or eight years of working with women professionally through their experience of this also. And I would say that what that vantage point affords me is the understanding that really what I've been healing from this whole time is shame. Um, Yes. And so, you know, my my addiction was very shame-based, my identity was very shame-based, this sense of not not knowing, not liking, um, not having appreciation for the human being that I was. And so trying to hide from that, trying to run from that. And, you know, taking lots of drugs is a really effective way to, to numb out those feelings of shame. And so when I got sober and I put down the drugs, I was left with all of that stuff. You know, we, we talk about putting down the anesthetic and then starting to feel the pain. And so the message of betrayal, which is a message that says you are not enough, enough um you 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 weren't good enough you weren't pretty enough you weren't sexy enough you weren't whatever enough was one mm. that connected with my starting point in terms of my self conceptualization and so yes the answer is an emphatic of course i assumed there was something wrong with me and mm. that that felt very comfortable and true because that was how i'd always felt yeah 100% i mean i it resonates with me because you know, when we're quote unquote done beating ourselves up, shame takes a turn over and over, right? It's going to, it's going to kick us when we're down repeatedly. What was your turning point? What was that tipping point for you that even if you were flat on your face, that you began to stand up on the inside, that that warrior in you began to emerge? Is there a point in your timeline that you can you can bring us back to in reflection of Mm. did you was it like dramatic where you could say yes Juliet this is this is when I can pinpoint or did you feel that this was you evolving Mm. because we're in process I say we're you know you and I are in process until until the day we're done right (laughs) and I tell my clients all the you know I (laughs) I work with clients around shame, you know, I now work with men who are seeking recovery from their own sex addictions. And I work with betrayed partners as well. And I work with couples. And so, you know, I hear shame every day of my working life. And I tell my clients all the time, um, I am not done with shame and shame is not done with me. Um, Yes. I I live now in a state of, I was was literally telling a client this last week, um, a state of what I can only describe as fierce self-compassion which is that to say mm. that shame sometimes will will tell me lies about my sense of identity it will tell me lies about who I am um, lies that sound like you're too much or um, you you know you mm. make too much noise you take up too much space people don't people you know people will think you're arrogant whatever it is that that shame tells me and mm. and that is not constantly quiet for me um, 
it's certainly not anything like it used to be but it will still show up um and my response to that now is one of fierce self-compassion where i will not allow myself to live in an identity of not enough um and mm. and i will protect that fiercely um and but it took me a while to get there so to answer your question um it's both for me there were there were sort of big moments where it was like, oh, okay, I get something new now. Um, and there were, so those big moments of awareness are followed by a, a fierce commitment to live out whatever that new awareness is. And so, you know, becoming a Christian for me was a big part of my recovery journey and understanding that um, that Jesus died for me and that he took away those things of the past and that I was washed clean and I had those mm. moments of really knowing that and really feeling the personalization of that and then and then I would still have moments where I would have to remind myself of that and that was true and I would still go for prayer because I felt like a not good enough mom, I felt like a not good enough wife, I felt like a not good enough human being and so for me it's been a both and. There have been those kind of big lightning bolt moments where God has spoken something truthful to me and I've really felt it and heard it and there has been a, a daily commitment to live the way that I choose to live, which is shame, shameless. So beautiful. Okay. I have to circle back because <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I know this is for our listeners, but I, I knew that I was going to absorb <laughs> as much as I could from you again in my life. I, I'll never, I'll never get enough of cat. I'm telling you <laughs> fear. I, I, I got to circle back to this fierce self-compassion that word fierce, the fierce commitment that embodies a warrior. And I remember the moments you and I had together. I remember that feeling. It was an invitation from you, God working through your words of life to say, Juliet, wrap your arm around yourself and let's heal. Yeah. And you extended an invitation to me to do that repeatedly. No matter how many times a day I needed to do it, I found myself hearing your words, hearing your voice. The, the turning point in, in my journey, when you and I were in our coaching sessions together, there was a defining conversation for me. And I told you earlier, before we started recording, you're all throughout my book. <laughs> you're, you're all in there. So just, just for the person who, you know, who's reading my book to know that, that cat's fingerprints and gods are everywhere. The, the conversation went like this. You said to me, Juliet, don't should on yourself. You've been through enough shame already. I should be doing this. I should be doing that as we should on ourselves, that it puts us in that dark soulless corner of shame and shame wants to keep us there. It is a gag order from the enemy to keep us in silence so that we never emerge so that we forget we are in this beautiful cocoon. We're in that cocoon and we're healing and it's God who sees the wings of that butterfly being formed and shaped before she makes her entrance into the world for everyone else to see. And you and me and Jesus, <laughs> that was, that was us. And when I hear your story, that's what I see. I think about you being in process, you being in a cocoon continually 
we have those moments and those thoughts, I'm not enough. And God says, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. And because of his love, because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us, he says that he's put that spirit of full acceptance. Like there's nothing broken, nothing missing. He invites us to live in that state of fullness. Not that we, not that we feel that way, you know, that that's, what's on the inside of us. So when you talk about your story, all those years that you spent, in addiction and you coming out of that. I love that you said it wasn't and or, but that it was both. Yeah. That you had those big moments and then you also had the day-to-day living, you know, the day-to-day life. And that's really what I would love to, to, to talk about and unpack a little bit is what does that look like? What do the rhythms in your life look like now? Yeah. And that's such an interesting question because they look a whole lot different than they would have done in the first years of my recovery from addiction, which was much more structured and rigid. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was a a necessary discipline to that period in my life because my life was so chaotic um, and so out of control and so unmanageable that I really, really needed to rein it all in. Um, and, you know, commit and submit to uh, these these very disciplined rhythms of life. So I would get up, I would pray, I would meditate, I would read. Um, and, you know, there were specific times for that. And there were specific readings that I would do. Um, I would go to this many 12-step meetings. I would do, you know, there were things that, that I did because I really needed that structure and rigidity in life to keep me safe, mm. safe from myself and safe yeah. from the world, world yeah. out there. Um, now, of course, my recovery rhythms look a whole lot different 15 years later because I'm not as vulnerable to life and the world as I was back then. Likewise, I guess, in in terms of like trauma recovery, I mean, I didn't really consider myself to be a traumatized person and still I, until I really began to understand what, what trauma really is, which was when I had this betrayal trauma. And then I began to understand that actually my whole story was one of shame and trauma. Um, and so, you know, in the early days, of trauma recovery that's also quite a an intentional structured period because you are you're you're learning to take care of yourself in a whole new way um and so you know to answer the question in terms of what does that look like now it doesn't look as structured it doesn't look as rigid it's much more um responsive um rather than kind of proactive in the sense that you know there are there and there's less need to conduct myself in very specific ways but it does look like a constant awareness so when i talk about that fierce self-compassion and so when i think about my sort of uh, rhythms of life now and how I stay healthy and whole and sane and everything else, it's its definitely different now. And I guess um, it's a lot more responsive than it is proactive in the sense that I'm not living in that constant state of um, I'm not okay. And if I don't sort of hold on to these um, these things that I do regularly, then I'm, I'm gonna be not okay. Cause I'm genuinely mostly okay now nowadays. And so I'm just looking out for those things that knock me off balance like I said that little voice of shame that wants to jump up and say something untrue to me um, and so I, I'm, I've got a sort of 
have a much more well-practiced and responsive toolkit um, that helps keep me sane in a more mm -hmm. reactive and responsive way. Um, of course, there are things that I do to take care of myself regularly, um, like meet with my own colleagues and coaches and, and therapists when I need to, and you know, I have a really great supportive team around me, but it's much less rigid nowadays than it used to be. That's so powerful. And going circling back to the fierce self-compassion and what I what I feel that you're describing to me is a fierce commitment to yourself to live consciously while also acknowledging anything that comes up subconsciously, right. such as shame. Right. That in your former state where shame, fear, anxiety, chaos, that war within carried the potential to be debilitating yeah. and potentially putting you in a paralytical state, which is, you know, I can, I can relate to that. And I think of conversations with clients that anxiety is anxiety and shame hand in hand, mm -hmm. that it is at the top of every conversation, it, potentially that it's, it's the beginning of, of almost every conversation of what they, what they're walking out in their recovery process. So just that fierce compassion that you've married that to a fierce commitment, you know, that it's like that compassion comes out because you've made the choice to fiercely commit to yourself. This is not how I have to live my life. Yeah, and I use that word fierce very intentionally, um, yes. Julia, because you know there have been seasons where my self-compassion has been much gentler, much kinder if I've been in seasons of grief or sadness, mm -hmm. and, and there's been lots of that over the years too. And that doesn't need fierce, that needs gentle self-compassion. But shame for me requires something a little bit more fierce. Um, and so I use that word very intentionally. And so, you know, there's an example Example I could give that happened to me recently where um, shame showed up just just out of the blue so I'm you know I'm doing some studying I'm in a class the lady who's taking the doing the training she says something like you know please make sure that you ask lots of questions and of course I'm a coach and so questions are my thing um, and so I'm, I'm interjecting throughout the training asking this and asking that and at one point in the training she says does anybody have any questions and I say I do and she says something like oh of course you do and she was probably joking um or you know whatever was happening for her but what I noticed in myself and I describe it as like a little twist in my chest it's like this ah oh, feeling yeah. yes. um and I start apologizing oh I'm really sorry I know I've asked loads of questions I'm really really sorry and I catch myself doing it in the moment and here's the thing with shame shame will show up and you will find that you will shame yourself for feeling shame. So now I'm apologizing and at the same time I'm going, oh, don't apologize for being who you are. Um, and like this whole thing is going on inside of me just because she made one comment. Mm. Um, right and i so yes. i leave that class and i kick myself and i go home and i say to my husband ah oh, i apologized today for being myself and i don't want to live that way so there's the, there's a starting place of kind of gentle compassion and then mm -hmm. i shift gears and i'm like it, it's like a 
it's like a defense of like a refusal to live that way. I'm like, I am mm-hmm. not going there. I'm not going to be that girl anymore. Um, Cause there was so much pain involved in living that way for me that I medicated it with drugs for years and years and years. And so there's this really defiant sense of like, I'm not doing that anymore. And so luckily for me, this woman comes back the, you know, a couple of weeks later to give another training. And this is my fierce commitment to myself. I go into that training and I say, I'm going to ask all the questions. Questions. I'm not going to hold back on a single question. If something comes up for me, that's what she's here for. That's what she gets paid for. I'm going to ask all the questions. And so it's it's really like this fierce desire mm. to be who I am. Because if I don't like me, you know, the message of shame is no one likes you. Mm. But if I don't like me, then they're always going to be right. You know, shame can only exist when I agree with what's out there. And so I won't agree with it. I just won't, I won't do that anymore. Pure power. You're like, no. (laughs) In in our groups, we talk about um, that, that scene from Lord of the Rings where Gandalf stands on the bridge and he's like, you shall not pass. Yes, yes, yes. This is, this is our inner Gandalf moment where it's like, no enough absolutely Um, and I won't I won't live like that yeah you shall not pass absolutely (laughs) that is the frame of mind I've actually shown that clip at some retreats before and um for the for the Lord of the Ring geeks that are in the <laughs> in the audience, I'm like, let's just let's just uh, geek out together on this moment. It's but almost yes, become like a verb. It is like a... we we Gandalfed. We t- you know did did you Gandalf? I love today? that. I love that. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to steal that, and I promise I'll give you credit. It's a it's it's a Gandalf mindset, right? It's right. like this fierce mindset. And as you're talking, I hear the the fierce and the gentle and i mm. the pain and the power that we don't have to live our lives believing and buying into this idea that any of that has to be mutually exclusive mm-hmm. that we can be both it's not that you know we're fierce and then gentle that we can can we be fiercely gentle can we embrace that so deeply and that compassion and yet have that have that fierce stance right. that we so deeply wrap our arm around ourselves and say, come here. I loved yeah. you then and I love you now. And I love, I love the potential of who you're becoming, mm-hmm. that we can embrace not parts of ourselves, but all of ourselves, that we can look back at that that 16 year old girl that was coping through heroin that lived through 16 to 26 those 10 years that i could look back at my life as as a little girl and see because of the the abandonment and the and the childhood pain and be able to identify that and not shame myself and say oh you're blaming but that we can identify those places of our story know that that's our reality, but we're not camping out there. You know, that's not all our pain is not all we are. It is a chapter in our story, but you know, I wrote a post uh, on Instagram this week that said pain is there. It's not all we are, but I don't know that pain ever leaves the chapters of our story. But what I do see is that God's fingerprints are everywhere and that we begin to see through our healing and in, in, in our journey to wholeness, just what you described a moment ago. And that was that we live proactively or responsibly and how we respond 
Uh, I remember in our coaching together that it was another moment for me that you, you invited me to see my life differently and what I was walking in. You gave me a lens and the lens was this, is this recovery behavior or addictive behavior? And that terminology for me was new in my world. It was, it was, you know, me, me, talking about that with someone else. But now this was my story. Mm -hmm. Now this was personal. It was not just someone else that I knew this was happening and unfolding in my own life. And it was, I find that that same lens I put on different situations in my life because we become addicted to so many, so many things. And it's not just substances that we are addicted to approval that we are addicted to always wanting to be good enough for others. You know, that acceptance that we are addicted to what we turn to, to cope. We become addicted to self-rejection. That's all we know that we, we live in that, in that victim state of mind. But that question comes, yes, Juliet, how do we get out of it? What you did for me in my life is you helped me to identify the why. You helped me to, to look at my life and reflect and, and came alongside me. You sat in the pain with me. You didn't leave me there. You continuously invited me to come out of that. But you did sit in it with me. And you didn't shame me for being in pain. You didn't shame me when I was in that, in that space of trauma and what you refer to as sense-making, you never shamed me for that being the reality that I found myself in. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, hey, you're in, you're in this pain. Let's figure out how to quickly get out of this. Right. You helped me focus on healing, right? You helped me focus on, I can give you, I knew you could give me the, the hey, Julia, this is how you can get out of this. But what you did for me is let's identify the why so that this doesn't get repeated again in your life. And so that you can see differently than what, and what you said to me was this, when you said, don't should on yourself, you just have information now that you didn't have before. Right. You can't take action on information you don't have. Yes. And that just changed. It changed everything for me, my perspective on life. And when you're talking about your story, these places in your timeline that you've walked through and that you're looking out, what would you say in your life brings you constant joy? What powers you and, and empowers you to live and to do what you do day in and day out? Yeah, good question. I suppose the there's only really one way I can answer that, which is, um, you know, because the work that the work that I do can feel exhausting, it can feel like a drop in a huge ocean of brokenness. And you know, sometimes I do get discouraged. And sometimes I do lose energy. And the thing that I come back to is this deep knowing, I know that I know that I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where God asked me to be. Um, this is where he placed me. Um, and so when I feel those things, when I feel like, why am I doing, why are we doing this? Um, that's where I come back to, I'm doing this because I know that I know that I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And and that's the only place for me that I can that I can fall back on when things feel hard, you know? Um, that, that this is really what God is calling me to do. And so why would I do anything else, right? Yes, 
Yes. It's so beautiful. What's, what is one thing that you can leave our listeners with that you would recommend for them to do on a daily basis on their journey to wholeness? So I'm going to say something that's going to sound so super simple. Um, and it is simple, but it is not easy. And I guess, um, and you know, to be totally fair, it took me a lot of years to get here. Um, but I think the daily practice is to commit to fear my judgment more than anybody else's by which I mean, you know, the world can only shame you if you agree with what they say. And so shame, living shame free for me comes from inside. You know, you can tell me I look bad. You can tell me I smell bad. You can tell me I am bad. And that will only result in shame if I agree with you. And so commit to not agreeing, commit to treating yourself with love and respect um, and, and notice what change that brings in your life. That's what I would say. Simple, but not easy to do. Profound. As always, you're so profound. <laughs> oh, I just love it. And I, well, I want, I want to have you back um, because about that, you know, that piece, that piece of it, just for them to, to know what that looks like and to really unpack that shame piece of it, because I find that it is, it overwhelms their state of mind. And as you were, as you were talking, this is what came to me is for us to stop giving shame our consent yeah, fiercely, right? In your words, to take a fierce stance against our consent for shame to run and ruin our lives. Mm-hmm. And then we can begin to, to see and live our lives di- differently and really step into the future that, that God desires for all of us. Kat, thank you so much for thank you so saying much for yes. Having me. It's so fun to hang out with you again. You are a brilliant human being. I could listen to you for hours, truly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such an honor to have you in this space. And thank you so much for investing in us today and for being here and sharing your personal story of resilience and moments for you that defined your life and that the trauma that shaped you ultimately hasn't defined you but you've worked through that story of resilience to serve the world thank you a beautiful day the same is true for you too julia thank you okay friend i love you you too take until next time yes cheers bye Hi friend, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Yellow Soul with me today. I'm so glad that you pressed pause and you leaned in. I truly hope that you were able to gain what you were looking for, even if it was one piece of truth that you were able to carry away from our dialogue today. Thank you for holding space for this conversation. If this had an impact on your life, please share it with a friend. Like, subscribe, leave us comments. When you subscribe, of course, you're the first to know when a new episode is released. And I want to remind you that my new book, Watershed Warrior, is released this coming Tuesday, August 30th. 2022. So you can pre-order, you can snag your hard copy, or the audio is available for immediate download. You can purchase my book on amazon.com where you'll also find access to the audible version. And it's also available on iTunes. 
And don't forget to check out the show notes of my podcast for additional information and to know how to get in touch with Kat. I'm so thrilled that you hung out with us today and I can't wait to spend some more time with you. Have an amazing day, friend.